0: As has been already mentioned, we're so thankful for everybody who has made it here this morning and I'm thankful for the prayer that we can study God's Word this morning and hopefully bring, um, just encourage us and, and hopefully help us to understand uh, God's Word a little more. There's coming a day when the Word of God says, The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be next week, it could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. And I want to, to see... With those implications, what does that that mean for our lives right now at this moment? And the reality of Christ's return, how does that affect the way we think and the way that we live right now? And starting in Matthew 24, verse 36, we're going to go all the way to Matthew 25, verse 46, and we'll see Jesus telling us some stories, about five stories, that help us to understand what it's going to be like and how we should live in light of His coming. And, and picking up, this is where Jesus is having some a conversation with his disciples just days before he dies on the cross. That's kind of where we're picking up uh, in this, in this uh, passage. And before he died and rose from the grace, he, he prepared his disciples for his departure and he promised that he would come back. And that's really the bedrock of Christianity, that Jesus is going to return one of these days. And we're looking forward to that. And I want us to hear what Jesus says about his return. Jesus is, uh, like we said, going to tell us five stories, and, and they all really have the same point, and that's being prepared. Are we prepared for that day? We must be prepared because your life and my life are at stake for eternity if we're not prepared. And as weird as it may sound, this text is really preparing us for 10 billion years from now. And time will only just begun. Eternity will only just begun at that time. I can't think of any more topic that's important in our lives as being prepared for that day for when Jesus decides to come back or when God decides for Jesus to return. So we're going to go through these five uh, stories and illustrations and um, I'm going to ask a question. We're going to have a question uh, for each story and um, hope that it is effective this morning in edifying to the body of Christ. So the first story we're going to start with is in Matthew 24, verse, uh, starting in verse 36 and going through verse 44. It says there, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage... Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his son to be broken allowed his house to be broken into therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you do not expect so the question i want to ask regarding this illustration that jesus gives us is are we keeping watch for christ are we watching for his return and it's kind of a, a um, you know, Jesus describes us as a thief coming in the middle of the night. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2, it says, uh, in addition to what we just read, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3 and 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation 3 and 3, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Revelation 16 15, behold, I come like a thief. So the point is clear. Uh, you know, if we know... When a thief is coming into our house, we're going to be prepared. We're going to be we're going to be watching for that. Um, you know, practically speaking, you know, when we're ready or preparing, uh, you, know, you know, for uh, those who are married and are uh, expecting a child, you know, your your lifestyle changes as the closer you get to uh, expecting that child, to that due date. What you do, how you think, where you go. You're always consistently being prepared for when that child may arrive at any moment. It'll affect the where, uh, how we travel and what we do. Not that we put everything else on hold uh, uh, with all of our life and, and, and everything else, but the expectation could be that that child could be coming at any moment. So we're ready for that. We, we expect that to happen because we can't wait Every passing day, we're, we, are, we are so uh, glad that we're going to have this new child in our life. We're looking forward to that day. And we need to really kind of think about the coming of Christ in that way. Do we think of the coming of Christ in that way? Are we expecting? Are we looking forward to that day? Are we looking forward to his return? Are we patterning our life in a way that we want him to be there at any moment? Are we watching and keeping watch for Christ? And if we aren't, what does that say about our hearts? What does it say about our perspective on things in the world? What what might that mean about where uh, our priorities and our passions are in our life? Are we keeping watch for Christ? Second question in in the next story is, are we faithfully following Christ? And beginning in uh, verse 45 of Matthew 24, it says there, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and again i don't want to get caught up in the details we're just kind of given a a basic point of what these illustrations are showing us uh the point is that um uh The overall point is: is who is the faithful servant? One of the servant, one servant uh, is faithful until his master comes. The other virtually forgets that his master is even coming back, and dishonors his master until uh, his surprise return. And how would, you know, we live differently today if we knew that Jesus was coming back today? I think we would all live differently if we knew that he was coming back today. Would we be found walking in obedience to him when he returns, or will we be found wandering in disobedience? Will we be found loving our neighbor? Or ignoring our neighbor? Will we be found passionately devoted to our spouse or practically negligent of our spouse? Will we be found hating sin or holding on to sin? What are we doing during the week that we would not that would not make sense if this was the last hour of our life? And we can see the horror of Jesus' words here at the end of. Uh, This passage here, and it says, and and he will cut him in two and will appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the stakes are high. The stakes are extremely high with what we're talking about this morning. Next, are we trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? The next story here, picking up uh, in chapter 25, starting at verse 1. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door wedding feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, we don't want to get caught up in the, in the, the details of the story. And the point is just these were bridesmaids who were uh, in a wedding. And we don't know uh, the situation behind the wedding ritual, but it was clear that they were part of the wedding party awaiting to go into the waiting feast, awaiting for the groom to come. The bride doesn't even mention, only the bridesmaids who were waiting for the groom to be able to go into the waiting, wait, wedding feast. And the only thing that separates one group of bridesmaids, bridesmaids from the other is that five of them were prepared with the oil in their lamps when the groom comes. And five of them were unprepared to go with the groom when he comes. And those five, because they were not prepared, we left out of the feast altogether. And the groom denies them entrance. He says, I do not even know you. I don't even know you. And, uh, you know, we all, the, the point of this is, is yes, we, we need to be prepared. But as I was thinking and studying more about this, um, I couldn't help to think about what um, Jesus seems to be addressing here uh, in addition to not being prepared the story speaks directly to people who are not prepared but also to those who don't necessarily persevere until jesus's return until he comes back they have enough oil to burn lights for a little bit but they don't have enough oil to persevere through the night or until uh the coming of the, the groom we think about the uh uh, the parable of the sower that Jesus told uh, just a few chapters ago um, about the seed that fell on the rocky ground that didn't have much soil. You know, it, it immediately sprang up, but since it had no depth of soil, when the sun came, it, it, uh, it scorched it up. Kind of the same, the same uh, idea here. It had no root. It, had, it was withered away. The, the bridemaids were not prepared for the long wait. They were not prepared to preserve until the groom came back. And that is the key that I hope to uh, show in this particular story. The kingdom of heaven is not simply for those who respond to an invitation. All the bridesmaids had done that. Similarly, the kingdom of heaven is not necessarily for those who simply make a confession and are baptized and follow Christ. Come to church every Sunday or whenever it's appointed. Each of, the, if each of those bridesmaids would have said that they were part of that bridal party, wouldn't they have? And their cry in verse 11 here, um, as they stand outside the wedding feast where it says, Lord, Lord. uh, That's kind of a comparison to what Jesus says back in Matthew 7 or or 721. It's not that they were indifferent to the bridegroom. That, That was a happy occasion, but they were glad to be a part of, but they weren't prepared to persevere. And I want us to see that the kingdom of heaven is only for those who are ready to endure our salvation all the way to the end. Not just going through the steps, not just going through the motions, not just saying that we are saved because we've been baptized for the remission of our sins, but because we kept going on, keep moving on, keep, keep doing all we can for the Lord because we love the Lord. In Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is talking about people, you know, like we mentioned, who, people who look and claim that they were following Christ. I was, of course, talking about the tribulation that was to come. But we can, we can see the comparison that, that can be made. Many false prophets. Jesus is is saying, uh, you know, we need to endure to the end. Persevere regardless of what comes our way. Don't give up. One commentator said, By no means are all who read the Bible and attend and belong to a church, sing songs of salvation, make a public confession of faith, or even preach in Christ's name, are going to share in the blessing of Christ's return. So are we trusting Christ today? Are we believing Christ today? And this is how we prepare for Jesus' coming is by persevering in faith and trusting in Christ. Next question, are you serving Christ with what he has given to you? Matthew 25, 14 through verse 30, it says... For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time with the lord, of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you had been a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And what hid your talent in the ground, look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received money, received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast in the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this story here goes beyond just watching and waiting for Jesus. It focuses on primarily working until Jesus comes, until His return. The whole story is about servants entrusted with much And a talent in that time well in this time current day it's it's estimated that a t- just one talent is upwards of 1.3 million dollars one talent so it's not a small amount of money that we're dealing with here it's a lot and the overall parallel that we can see is clear Jesus who is our master has given us so much he has given us so much so many blessings in this world and we don't need to dive into the imagery of uh, money right now. But, but the point is that the, that the master in this uh, illustration that Jesus gave, he had given extravagantly to his servants. He had trust, entrusted much to them. So Jesus is our master and we are his stewards. And he has given much and we are responsible for what we do with it. And the two servants here, servants here that have been entrusted to them uh, and worked diligently with it, they are faithful To honor their master with the way they maximize his resources, they're able to build upon what uh, their master had given to them. And the 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 I don't want us to to think that this is kind of an employee-employer relationship. That's not really the point of the story. They have the point is that they have joy doing the work and doing this for their master. The first servant comes and says, Master, I've made five talents more, excited about what he had done for him. So we need to ask ourselves, when Jesus comes back, will we be commended for our love? Are we keeping watch for Christ? This is something that you do out of the overflow of love for Christ. We do the work because we love Christ. We're looking forward for his return. I kind of when I was putting this point together, it reminded me of back when the kids were younger and Lizzie was working nights as a waitress I didn't sit home and forget that she was going to return I knew she was going to return and I wanted her to return I looked forward to her when she was going to return especially when I had the kids Like, when are you coming home please and that same kind of attitude is the way the attitude that we should have for Jesus Like, when are you coming please get here we want that to happen we long for that day John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Fullness of joy comes in loving obedience to Christ. And that's the picture. Will we we be commended for our love, or will will we be condemned for our laziness? The last servant here was not commended for what he did, but for what he did not do. He did nothing with what the master had entrusted him to. And the reason behind it, he actually blamed his master for the reason why he didn't work. It says here in verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you had to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. The lack of joy that we can see, the lack of intimacy, the lack of love here, That this servant had for his master. Blaming his master for his irresponsibility. And so he is condemned because of that. And as a steward. To fail and to serve and to honor the master with mercy. With the mercy and the blessings that he has entrusted to us. Indicates that we may have a lack of love. And desire for our master. So what are we doing with what God has entrusted to us, not to this, not to the point that uh, we need to earn brownie points before God. That's not the point. The point is, do we love Christ in a way that we serve Christ with what He has given to us because we love Him? Will we be condemned for our love, or will we be condemned? I'm sorry. Will we be commended for our love, or will we be condemned for our laziness? Are you serving Christ with what he has given to you? Verse 31 of chapter 25. Then he who had received the one talent, when the Son of Man had comes in his glory, and all his, the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, or take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, And surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they, will also, then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying assuredly I say to you inasmuch as you did not do it to, to of the least excuse me assuredly I say to you inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me and these things will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life the question I have for this set of verses is are you serving Christians God has put around you. When we sometimes first read this passage, I had always kind of figured, you know, whenever we do something good for somebody, it's the same as doing something good for Jesus. And I think that misses part of the passage here. The key is when we get to verse 40 here, It says, And the king will answer and say to them, I surely say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And that me here is referring to Jesus. And the whole point here is that Jesus is identifying himself with his followers, with those who have decided to follow him. This is one example of... Uh, in the New Testament where Jesus uh, identifies himself specifically with Christians. Um, Remember uh, when Paul was encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus where Jesus said, Paul, Paul, or Saul at that time, um, why are you doing these things? You're doing these things to them, but you're actually doing it to me. You're persecuting these Christians, but you're persecuting me at the same time. And it's a beautiful picture. Jesus is basically saying, You mess with them, and you're messing with me. We have Jesus on our side. He is ours, and we are his. When when people persecute us or or talk bad against us or uh, make fun of us because of our Christianity, they're not just making fun of us. They're attacking Jesus at the same time. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't help people who are not Christians. Uh, we, we see that all over the Bible, that we, how we're supposed to serve and love and give to those who are in need, those who are, are poor. And that, that really, the passage there begs us to ask, are we serving Christians, specifically Christians in this passage, that God, God has put around us who are in need? We serve Christians that God has put around, uh, not because we want to get to heaven or it's merit-based. It's not merit-based. We do it because we love Jesus. We serve Jesus, and that's one way that we serve Him. Going back to John 15, verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 4, 8, 7 through 8, Beloved, let us one an- love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 19-21. We love him because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this, is, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves his brother, loves God, must also love his brother but whoever has this world's... 1 John three seventeen through 18 But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We have so much of the world's goods around us and we're surrounded by... You know, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And we shouldn't close our hearts to those who are in need. And I don't think we have that problem here in this congregation. We give where we can. We give to those who are in need without question. Let us give extravagantly to them. And in the process, we show extravagant love to Jesus. This is the fruit of the heart that's been changed by Christ. And it's a fundamental way we prepare for the coming of Christ by serving Christians that God has put around us. Making sure that we're doing it not because it's a means of salvation. Works is not a means of salvation. We don't earn our salvation through Jesus. Sacrificial service is not a means of earning salvation. Instead, sacrificial service is necessary evidence of our salvation. We should be serving because we have been saved out of our love for Jesus. We're doing these things out of our love for Jesus. You know, we don't just come to worship just because we're commanded to. In addition to that, that's part of it, but we come because we are worshiping the God who has saved us from our sins. We don't sing songs just because we're commanded to sing. We also sing because we just cannot keep the joy of Christ in our heart for ourselves. We don't just go through the motions. We do it because we just cannot keep it in. A heart that is truly trusted in Christ and a life that is truly longing for Christ will be consumed with serving men and women who are in Christ. Two eternal destinations that await us all. Either heaven, of course. And the imagery here in the last story, which reflects imagery, imagery we've seen in the other stories, um, you know, it leads us to these two different destinations that, that will be coming for us one of these days. And what is obvious from every one of these stories is that when we die, or when Jesus comes back, all of us will be divided between two destinations and for each of us. And we'll stand alone before God in judgment with him deciding where our eternity will be. The language in Matthew 25 and verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's for us. Before the world was even created, God had this plan for us. That's our inheritance that we will have one of these days. Our internal, eternal inheritance. Plan for the children of God. The blessed servant at the end of chapter 24, in the wedding feast, the servants entering into the joy of their master, and now the righteous, righteous entering into, enter, entering, inter, get my word straight, entering into eternal life. Why would we not long for that day? Why would we not look for Jesus' return because of that? Keep watch for Christ until that day, faithfully following Christ, trusting in Him, serving in Him, and serving the body of Christ around us. And then the flip side, of course, is hell. Matthew 25, verse 41 says there, Then he who will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the polar opposite of what we will see in heaven. It's not not unhindered enjoyment of the Father's love. It's total separation from the Father's love that we see here. A place prepared for demons. Hell is not a place where the devil torments sinners. It's a place where we will be alongside Satan being tormented with him as well. Hell was created for demons for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for us, but Jesus tells us that we have an op- we have a chance that we may be there if we're not following and loving Christ to the best of our ability. One writer said, what a destiny to spend eternal shul- eternity shoulder to shoulder with an evil being whose one goal has been to defy God and bring others to share in suffering forever. A place of unquenchable agony. So the images that we see in these stories, you know, one, one says cut into pieces or put into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, and now eternal fire. And I've seen some people say, uh, you know, well, how can hell be darkness and have fire at the same time? And I think if we we're stuck on that, we're missing the point. Because imagery in the human, human uh, uh, species, the imagery that we see only takes us so far. We can only imagine something to some point. Now this imagery here is saying it's way worse than what we can read here. The imagery that we know as human beings is only takes us so far. One, another writer's uh, word says the purpose of imagery is to point beyond what literal language can convey. If a literal burning of fire is bad, the reality of hell's suffering must be immeasurably and inexplicably worse. And it's never ending. Never ending suffering in hell. The same word here, everlasting, is the same uh, term that describes life with God in heaven. Everlasting joy or everlasting torment. And it's kind of overwhelming when we really think about it. uh, Ten billion or trillion years from now, an eternity will just begin. We're only living a short time. There's a vapor that's explained to us. And we're living for one moment when either Jesus returns or he decides to take us home with him by death. Heavy stuff when we think about it, but oh, the joys that we have in Christ are so much greater than that. So how can we be ready for that day? Well, we can be ready by repenting of our sins, turning aside from ourselves and our sin, and trusting in Jesus. And and we remember that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sinfulness. He rose from the grave, had victory over death, and all who repent, confess his name, and are baptized into the church will be reconciled to God. And then once we do that, we keep watch for his coming. We faithfully follow him. We trust him to the end. We serve him with all that he has given us. So if there's one here under the sound of my voice that may be subject to the gospel call, please don't let it go by any longer. Do it out of the love for Christ. Serve him. Let him change your life. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.